All right, we're live and we're rolling, and this is The Real Venture. I'm your host, Peyton, joined by my cousin and business partner, Luke. And Luke and I are entering into the business world by starting a few companies of our own. So we decided to create this very podcast as a platform so we can ask other successful entrepreneurs the questions we need answered in order to help our businesses grow. Every single week, we are joined by CEOs, venture capitalists, artists, co-founders, and influencers, all with one thing in common, they're young entrepreneurs. The only thing I'm gonna need you to do is hit that subscribe button so you never miss a conversation. Every single Wednesday, Luke and I will be right here and we can't wait for you to join us. All right, guys, this week we're joined by Peter Columbia. Peter is a professional athlete, he's an entrepreneur, but most importantly, he's an all-around great dude. If you're interested in athletics, business, or a combination of the two, then this week's episode is absolutely for you. I'm rolling solo this week, so I can't wait for you guys to hear. Let's get into it. All right, Peter, man, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the pod this week. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so first off, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? All right. Um, my name's Peter Kalambay. I'm a professional athlete and entrepreneur. Um, my family reigns from Trinidad and Tobago. I'm the first uh, American in my family on both sides. Uh, so I'm just kind of out here trying to live the American dream for the family, you know. There you go. So you said uh, you said you're a professional athlete and an entrepreneur. Let's break both of those down. So let's start with the professional athlete side. So uh, what do you do professionally? So I'm currently an NFL linebacker. Um, I played in high school. I went to Stanford University. I redshirted my first year. I played there for four years, and then I got drafted in the sixth round to the Houston Texans. I played there for three years, and I'm a free agent right now looking for a new team. Okay, very nice. And then on the entrepreneurial side, what do you, uh, what do, you do when you're off the field? On the entrepreneur side, I'm working on a few things. Um, the first things first that I've been working on since year one is real estate. Um, I have a real estate company and I have some rental properties. Um, the next thing I'm working on is I'm actually working on an app. I can't speak too much about it, but mm-hmm. I have a pretty good team. Um, and we're working on the app. It's going to come out mm, give, by, maybe by the end of the year. So be on the lookout for it. Okay, very nice. So, you know, like you said, you, you're the first American in your family. So, um, you know, why don't you just talk a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing, and kind of what led you, you know, ultimately to, to Stanford and then, you know, now to the NFL? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, my, my, my grandma came here in the 80s uh, with my mom and my uncle to the Washington, D.C. area. So that's where I actually grew up. I spent the first 12 years of my life in D.C. I was born in Raleigh, but I moved to D.C. very quickly and lived there for 12 years, kind of moved around a lot. Uh, I was raised primarily by my mother and my grandma. I don't really have a relationship with my father. My father is from the Democratic Republic of Congo, so mm-hmm. I actually speak French because I feel like it would be useful. That's the national language over there. So that's kind of my other side thing is I, I speak French. I minored in French in college. Mm-hmm. But uh, going back to my childhood, I was raised by my mom. I have, I have a little sister named Andrea. She's actually a senior in high school uh, from my high school. So I was raised by my mom, and she kind of told me when I was in middle school, like, look, we don't have money for you to go to college, but you're going to college, so uh, go get a scholarship. And that's, that was kind of my goal in high school. I played football, basketball, and track. I was also a straight-A student, so I kind of just figured something was going to stick. Most of the, the high-profile offers came for football, so I chose football. Stanford was just, it's an amazing place. You know, it's the most beautiful campus. It's 72 degrees all year, mm-hmm. you know, and they're actually still playing D1. You get an Ivy League education and still play D1. Not in the Ivy League, by the way, we're Pac-12, but just, you know, putting that out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think one of the, so I, I went to Purdue and, you know, I think, uh, I think Purdue has, is, is a great educational yes, school, it is. but, yes, it is. but I mean, Stanford and Vandy, I think are kind of in their own tier of non-Ivy League, big D1 schools. 
Um, and you know, definitely something that everybody likes to talk about is, is the whole student athlete thing. Are you really a student? Are you really an athlete? But I think you're going to have a really interesting perspective going to Stanford because like I said earlier, like Stanford and Vandy, I think the student part is, is pretty big. So why don't you talk a little bit about kind of that balance between, you know, your, your studies at Stanford, which is an incredibly challenging school. And then also playing, you know, at the highest level. Yeah, you know, Stanford's a little bit different than most places are. Most places is where we have the NCAA Scott sliding scale. So it basically means if you have this GPA and this SAT or ACT score, you're good to go. You're going to get in if you play sports and they offer you. Stanford, they hold their all student athletes to a little bit of a higher standard. So it's not just the sliding scale. You probably have to have above a 3.7 unweighted. And then on top of that, they're going to make you take some extra APs on top of the classes that you're already mm-hmm. taking. So, you know, kind of when you're going there, you already know, like, look, you're going to you're going to school, too. They, they put that in you from high school. I remember the coach that was recruiting me in 10th grade. He didn't even he, he knew I could play. He went right to the counselor's office and said, what kind of classes is this guy in? Because we need to get this guy into school. You have to apply to school like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So in that regards, we were definitely student athletes to Stanford. Um, you know, it wasn't there wasn't anything like tutors helping you out too much. You know, we had tutors obviously, but it was like do your work, handle your football, and be an adult. And that's kind of the expectation they put on you as a high schooler. So going to college, just learning time management, it definitely helped me. You know, moving on and going to the big leagues and all that, I learned all my time management skills in college. You know, how do you how do you play D one football, pass these problem sets? And still have time to party, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> how do you yeah. do all that? And, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate, you know, at first when I got redshirted, um, you know, a lot of guys, you know, you've been playing football your whole life. You've been a starter probably your whole life. So to get redshirted is a humbling experience. It's hard. But I would say I love the redshirt year because, you know, I was able to develop. I was able to get my footing in college. I was able to understand kind of, you know, the flow of college and mm-hmm. not have the pressure of, you know, playing USC in the Coliseum, playing Notre Dame in South Bend while also trying to figure out, you know, how Stanford goes. So after that, my redshirt freshman year, I kind of saw how everything went. I was able to, you know, kind of glean off some veteran guys, you know, guys like Trent Murphy, played in the league for seven years, are still playing, you know, just good Blake Martinez, NFL's leading tackler, dudes like that, kind of watched them and saw how they were able to kind of balance their stuff and still have successful football careers. And I tried to, you know, emulate them as much as I can. I'm my own guy. I'm different from them, but I tried to, you know, just glean off the good guys you see, you know? Yeah, no, the the, the locker room's kind of a cool place when you're a freshman because you you see like such a wide spectrum, right? You see the dudes who, who handle all their business correctly mm-hmm. and do it the right way, like the guys you just described. Mm-hmm. But you also see, you the see the dudes, dudes who, that don't. That don't, and right. they totally, you're just like, I do not want to be that guy. that's the big guy. thing. You know, you see the coaches on that guy trying to make that guy's life living hell. That guy might be a junior well, They senior. want him to quit. They want him to quit yeah. because, because, you know, he's not handling his business. So, you know, you see those guys as a young guy, and you're like, well, I'm never going to be that guy. Yeah. But then you also see guys like McCaffrey, Trent Murphy, you know, Kevin Hogan, you know, all these great players we had. And you see you see the work that they put in. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of – you see the standard that's set. And you, you want to try to emulate that and follow that. Maybe you're not going to be as good as them, but, you know, if you, if you try, yeah. you're going to do some good stuff. Yeah. What was your mindset going in as a freshman? I mean, like you said, you know, you've started your whole life. I mean – did you have to go through a little bit of a personal battle to kind of, you know, not swallow your pride, but just kind of accept that, hey, I'm redshirting and, you know, this is just what my year is going to be? Um, you know, I was fortunate that, so my class, we only had 11 guys because we had a lot of fifth year still, my mm-hmm. freshman year. So they actually redshirted 10 out of 11 of us. 
So it wasn't that humbling seeing that, like, okay, these other four-star recruits yeah. are also getting red-shirted. But the way they did it was kind of sly. They didn't necessarily tell me. They uh, they had me in the depth on special teams, and they, they traveled me for the first two games. They just didn't play me. And then week three, I was just on the non-travel squad. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, looks like I'm red-shirting. Yeah, just kind of slid you in there. Just kind of slid me in there. I was still doing the red-shirt lifts the whole time. But, you know, they oftentimes make fresh. Those Friday too. morning lifts? Yeah, you yeah. know how that goes. Yeah. But uh, I ended up loving the red-shirt year just because I was able to get the true Stanford experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've talked to some guys, you know, some guys that, you know, only stayed for three years and some guys that, like, you know, played since they were freshmen. And they, they never really had that opportunity to get the true, like, did you play experience. all? Did you stay all four years? I stayed for five. You stayed for five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I did the college. Thing, you, you, you did know? the college. Yeah, you did it right. You even took a victory lap. Yeah, so, yeah. The yeah. victory lap was great. I didn't have much classes left. I was just there for the fall, mm-hmm. the fall quarter. So the victory lap was a great time. Yeah. So we'll get we'll get into some some more detail about uh, you know some other stuff that you did in your playing career, but I kind of want to to take it back to to when you were a young kid. I mean, did you always want to be an NFL player? I mean, what did you like dream of when you were like a twelve year old? Um. You know, I I just wanted to, I, I figured I was going to play basketball or, or football professionally. Um, I mean, I, no, let me let me walk that back. My goal in middle school, like I, like what I said, like what my mother told me, was to get a scholarship for some sport. Mm-hmm. So I just and, when, and when, when did she say that to you? How old were you? Well, I was about 12. You about 12? Yeah. Yep. So when I, from the time I was 12 years old, I had the idea in my head that mm-hmm. one of these sports is going to come through with me. I knew the grades were going to be fine because, you know, my, my mother, my grandma, they pushed me from a young age. That mm-hmm. was the non-negotiable. If there was ever like a C or something, I wasn't playing sports. Yeah. So I wasn't worried about the school. You had your priorities in line. Yeah, I wasn't worried about the school, but I was kind of just like, you know, which, which sports are going to be? And to be honest... I thought it was going to be basketball. I'm, you know, I'm bigger than most kids. I, mm-hmm. I never had a growth spurt. I was always a big kid. But when I was in middle school in Maryland, the D.C. area, you know, some great hoops played up yeah. there. And you go into AAU tournaments, and there's seventh graders grabbing the rim. Yeah. Eighth graders are yep. dunking. And I'm, I'm a tall kid. I'm taller than most kids. But you're like, all right, these are probably who's going to get the scholarships. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was kind of the first time. I would say when I was in middle school and I was in the AAU tournaments, I realized, like, all right, like maybe I'm not going to go to the NBA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's kind of there's uh, it's kind of crazy to think about. You know, okay, so for for us in football, there were I mean, except for your class, right? You only had eleven, which yeah. was kind of an anomaly. Well, most but like, of the time it's like twenty. It was I think I had twenty four right, in, in, right. in my freshman recruiting class. So there's twenty four people, right? But for basketball, there's only like three dudes that get a scholarship exactly per year. I mean, like I'm not. Trust me, I mean, I think getting a football scholarship Everybody is extremely challenging. Everybody earns it, but absolutely. A basketball but basketball, scholarship, that's a whole from a number standpoint, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense. And then to actually go to the NBA, there's like every team's looking for what two guys every year. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's always it's always fun to to think about. So the the 22 dudes who are on the field in college are the 22 some of the 22 best players to ever go to that high school. Right. Right. You know, if you, if, I mean, except if you go to like a powerhouse high school, right. You know, a, a D one kid comes out every once in a while kind yeah. of thing. But then you look at college, right. Or I'm sorry. Then you look at the professionals and those are 22 of the best players to ever play at that college. Yeah. So you just start thinking about that tiered system that's going up. And then obviously like the dudes in the hall of flame are some of the best players to ever play, ever the, play game. the game. And it's, 
it's insane to just kind of think about how such a large chunk of people are whittled away every single step. And it's just so interesting. Just you look at the numbers. Once you get to the NFL, everybody knows everybody. Yep. Because there's only so many people in the NFL. And even in college, you know, you went to Purdue. I went to Stanford. Look, we know like five of the same people. Yeah. Like off mic before this, we, you know, made connections with like 10 different people. Right. Like it's just once you get to playing D1 sport, like not many people get that opportunity. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bubble becomes pretty small. Yeah. And then to make it out of that bubble is just a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's transition away from sports for a second. So, um, you know, obviously there there's a business side of you too. Where did that interest start coming from? Is that something that you also kind of picked up from an early age, or was that you know a later in life kind of thing? Um, not really. You know, uh, going to college, I wasn't sure what I was going to study. What did you study? Uh, I ended up majoring in communications and monitoring in French. I have a real interest in media. Um, kind of, I kind of was thinking maybe be like a producer, a, mm-hmm. a sports producer, sports director, something yeah. like that. So I actually worked for Pac-12 Networks, like I was telling you before off camera, but I used to set up, you know, wrestling events, basketball games, softball games, baseball games. I used to set up the cameras. I used to sit in the truck with the Pac-12 Networks people. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a really cool experience. So I fe- in college, I was kind of thinking that's what I was going to do, um, you know, if the football thing didn't work out. But yep. football started to... Uh, come back um, after 2016 season. Coming back from my fifth year was a good decision. And football started to pick up. So um, since I've been in the league, I, I've kind of thought back to the people that I met at Stanford and kind of I w- we would always have, you know, like uh, the honorable the guest captains, mm-hmm. the honorable speakers and all of yep. them. So when they would come back, you know, they would say like, how did you build your fortune? How did you build your fortune? They would always tell us their life story and then how they got to Stanford and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So just hearing their stories kind of put the, the entrepreneurial spirit in my head. Sure. And um, so when I came to the league, I was like, all right, well, the first thing I'm going to do is secure real estate. Um, so secured some real estate in my first few years. And that was kind of the first thing. Then I started to think, well, what are some other like cash flow businesses? And I'm looking into like logistics and you know box trucks and trucking and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's I'm I'm kind of growing right now. But right now the main thing that I'm actually getting money from is real estate. That's yeah. the, that's the main thing. And I, I just think some of these markets are so hot. The two markets I'm familiar with are Charlotte and now Austin, but which are two of the hottest markets. Two of the hottest markets yeah. in the country. You're right. So you know I'm I kind of want to just stay in those markets mm-hmm. and, and expand. I think there's like a lot of room for growth and. Yeah, Austin's going to be hard now because everybody's putting up cash offers. But even in Charlotte, I just got a cash offer for, for one of my properties like yesterday. Some dude just texted me like, hey, I'll buy your house now cash. Because yeah, like way over asking price? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, big time. Yeah, so, you know, the the real estate market's crazy right now. But in Charlotte, it's a little more affordable. So I think the next few, um, depending on how, you know, the next few seasons go, the next few might be in Charlotte. But I want to keep doing stuff in Austin because this is the best market right yeah. now. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and now that, you, I mean, you're in it. You have a you have a, a property here. Yeah. And, I mean, once you kind of get into the market, then you're a part of it. And it yeah. makes, it, it's hard. The barriers to entry in the Austin market specifically are so high. Yeah. But, I mean, once you're in then some things start happening for you for sure. and, and, you know, things, things flow a little bit easier, but it, it's hard to get in. So that's good that, you know, you've already done that. You know, I think one thing that's going to resonate with a lot of the people that listen is, you know, our, our demographic is, is fairly young, right? They're people like us that are trying to figure it out um, as they go. But, you know, one thing is a lot of people are, are scared to do something, right? You know, they're either scared of failures, which we'll get there in a second, um, or they're, you know, they don't think that they know enough so you didn't study real estate in college. So how have you been able to, you know, accumulate your knowledge towards it to the point where you feel comfortable putting money towards something? Um, a mixture of the internet, not like 
Instagram and Twitter, like actual, you know. Like reading. Reading, yeah. you know. A mixture of the internet, um, reading some books, and just talking to people that are doing it. Yeah. I, I always think talking to people that are doing it are the best, is the best thing you can do. So I, 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 have, I have talks on Zoom with these private equity guys a lot. Mm-hmm. I like to pick their brain. You know, they're doing like million dollar deals and, you know, five, 10, 20 million closing rounds of funding yep. for like a hundred million dollars. So, you know, it's a much bigger scale than what I'm doing, but the principles are still the same. Absolutely. And like I, just learning the principles from them, I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to do that on a smaller scale and build out. Yeah. And you know, that reflects your Stanford experience where those dudes came in and, and they told you what made them successful and, you know, the guest captains, and then, you know, you try to replicate it in your own environment. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something else that a lot of people, you know, like you watch like Gary V or, or, you know, some successful entrepreneur and you're like, Oh, like he does this. So I need to do it. Well, that doesn't, yeah. it, it doesn't you're work necessarily. Him. You're not him and you don't have the same situation. Right. But yeah. there are principles, like you said, and, and concepts that are universal right. and being able to apply those to, to your situation is, is, is what you need to do. Buy low, sell high. I mean, that's the yeah. bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like at its, at its, at its core, real estate is, is supply and demand, yeah. but there are a lot of There's nuances. There's a lot of nuances for sure. For yeah. sure. And I'm still learning a lot of mm-hmm. them, but uh, it's just, every time I talk to these guys, I pick up like, you know, we might have a 30 minute conversation, but I might pick up one or two gems that just resonate. And that's all that matters. Like, right. They might resonate with like a property I have like, Hey, you know, like this type of flooring is more sustainable. It lasts this long. Da 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 da. Mm-hmm. Boom. Well, I was just about to change the floor in this property. Let yeah. me go do that. Something like just something small. Or you're like, like evaluating a property and you've never heard of that kind of floor. And then the dude's like, well, you know, that's what this is. And you're like, Oh wait, I just heard about yeah, that. Like exactly. I know what that is now. Exactly. Yeah. Cause like to originally you'd just be like, Oh, that's cool. There's yeah, the, the that kind of floor. The yeah. terminology in real estate, some stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, last week we had on one of my former uh, teammates. Uh, he played for the 49ers. And the the question that I asked him that I was really like interested to learn, because I've never been in the NFL locker room as a player, um, you know, what what's the business vibe in there? I mean, obviously, like in college, we were talking about dudes handling their classwork and their football correctly. But like in the NFL, I mean, dudes have to handle their money, right? There is obviously a a wide spectrum. So, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about kind of that environment and kind of the things that you notice? Because I'm sure there's some guys that do it the right way and there's some dudes that just blow their check as soon as it comes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've seen it so many times, both both directions, mostly the dudes that blow the check. But, um, well, the first thing that you have to establish, I think one of the biggest differences in the NFL and college is like, you know, in college, you're with you know you're with these guys for three, four years. Mm-hmm. So that locker room is, like, close. Like, you know, yeah. your, your long snapper knows your receiver, knows the quarterback. Like, they hang out. Long know? snappers are people, too. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to the specialists. Shout out to the specialists. You know, show me love. <laughs> I'm a special team guy myself, so, you know, I love them. But, uh, yeah, so the locker room is just a lot more. It's, it's more like, imagine going to, going to work with your coworkers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, in the office, you know who everybody is in the office. Yeah. But you probably hang out with three people. Yep. Um, in yeah, my, your little squad. Yeah. In my experience, it'll be like typically wherever I'm at, it's the linebackers. You know, mm-hmm. it's always a cool group of linebackers that I hang out with. But, you know, that kind of makes everything different in terms of like holding each other accountable. You know, in college, you might have somebody that's able to get in your ear and or they might publicly, you know, scold you in front mm-hmm. of people or things like that. In the NFL, it's like you're a grown man. If you don't handle your business, we'll just get you out of here. It's yeah. not a problem. We'll have somebody here within three hours. There's somebody on the street right now that mm-hmm. we can call up at any given moment. So when dudes are kind of messing up, you kind of just got to let them do it because you can't tell a grown man how to be a grown man. 
That's a, that's a good point. And it, it's, it's definitely different from college, whereas in college you might grab your guy and be like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, some, so some guys are fortunate to have, you know, like maybe like an older guy on the team be like a mentor to him and help him. Yeah. When I was in Houston, I had uh, – He's in Miami now, but we had Brendan Scarlett. He played at Stanford with me, so like I had him. So I kind of she kind of had the like the school connection, yeah. which kind of established the the mentor mentee kind of exactly. Thing. Yeah. So you know, I would I would kind of glean off him, see kind of his habits and things like that. But uh, guys are I would say four out of five guys have a financial advisor, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm like, what are they advising you on? Because some some of the purchases I see dudes um dudes are making like on the practice squad like a hundred thousand. And I've seen dudes on the practice squad in like, and like Bentleys, yeah, and like yeah. wraiths and yeah, things like that. And I'm like, okay, but I'm not gonna say anything. Maybe they got a ton of real estate on the side. Maybe when I was a rookie, I drove my, uh, I had a black and white Crown Victoria from college, the police car. I drove that one my whole rookie year because I was like, I don't know how this goes. Like, you, you go anywhere. Let me at least get a whole year's worth of compensation before mm-hmm. I get another car. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad I did that. I didn't like go for the flashy stuff early. Yeah. And a lot of guys go for the flashy stuff early, get cut week three, and then you know they don't. Yeah, they're stuck with that payment. Yeah, exactly. Stuck with that payment, and it's like, dang, I wish I did something more sustainable. You know. Yeah. So I think for me, it was kind of setting up fail safes early for when I ended up in like a predicament like I'm in now when I'm a free agent. You know, get some real estate because when you don't have a contract, those guys aren't gonna give you the loan. Yeah. And that's what a lot of guys I talk to, you know, a lot of guys that are free agents right now and they have four hundred, five hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars yeah. sitting in the bank. But the banks don't want to give them the loan with the low interest they don't have rate. cash flow. Yeah, exactly. They don't want to give it to why, them. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, the NFL, the way that they pay their players, um, you know, you, you get your game checks. So why don't you, you know, you bust out a little knowledge about that? Because people sure. probably think that, you know, you have a salary and you just get paid every two weeks. But that's that's not how it is at all. Um we actually don't really, you get like for the spring and the OTAs, there's like a little stipend that's a few hundred dollars a week, but you don't actually get your salary until the game start. So the way the salary works is you work out a salary, that's what you negotiate. Most guys are on the minimum and then there's probably 10, 15. What is NFL minimum? So it's like, different for every year. So it's, okay. uh, it just went up. We had a new collective bargaining agreement. When I was a rookie, it was 480. Now it's 600. And then it's like every season that you're like, on the active roster. And that's what that's six hundred is for the fifty three man. That's not practice squad. That's right? for the fifty three man. Yeah. yeah. Practice squad is about a hundred. If you if you were on a practice squad for all sixteen weeks. But what people don't understand is especially practice squad guys, those are the guys that move around the most. Yeah. You, you might go to a team's practice squad for a week and then be off it. So you that's don't crazy. Know. But yeah, so your your annual salary is divided by seventeen weeks. This year it'll be eighteen weeks because there's seventeen games for the first time in NFL history. But uh, most guys don't have a guarantee on the contract. Probably the top six or seven guys have a set amount of money guaranteed, mm-hmm. and then everybody else is kind of like it's a week to week thing. Yeah. So you might think you're making four eighty, but say you play four games, you're only getting twenty five percent of that. So yeah. you better you know be smart. Maybe make those big decisions at the end of the season after you can evaluate how much money you just made yeah. as opposed to like anticipating money coming in because nothing's promised in the yeah. NFL. <laughs> I, mean, how, how, I mean, how hard does that make budgeting? Um, Personally, it wasn't hard for me because I was just like... I mean, if you live within your means, it's yeah, probably Yeah, if you pretty, live like a regular person and maybe splurge a little bit here and there, yeah. you still have a lot of money left yeah. over. The problem is, like I said, there's maybe five to ten guys in the locker room that are making a, a few million dollars mm-hmm. on their annual salary and... If you see those guys and you're a young player making seven hundred thousand, and you see the way a five million or 
$3 million, $2 million a year guy is living mm -hmm. and you try to live his lifestyle before you've earned that lifestyle, yeah. that's where you get into trouble. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young guys, you know, some of these dudes coming out as juniors, they're like 20 years old, 21 years old. Yeah, they're young dudes. Yeah, they don't, they don't know much. So they just kind of see like, oh, look, there's the star guy on the other side. He's doing this. But what they don't know is that guy was undrafted in his first three years, drove the same car, mm -hmm. and then... You know, he got he got paid, he got that second contract, and then he started doing, you know, yachts in Miami, you know. Yeah. It's that second contract is like, that's yeah, like when that's, that's things can turn money. up a little bit. Yeah, that's where the money comes in a little bit more. Um, So I think for a lot of guys in the first contract, the best thing you can do is just save your money. Mm -hmm. And then you can reevaluate re after three or four years. But yeah. if you just go jump in the gun, you know, you don't know if you're going to get injured. You can get injured at any moment. and then, You get injured not playing football. Right. And if you get injured not playing football, they don't have to pay you. At least if you get injured while you're in the facility, they have to compensate you somewhat. So yeah. say, say, like, say they want to cut you during the season because you just sprained your ankle. Um, they still got to pay you for the duration of your uh, – of your injury re recovery. So what they could do is give you- an They can injury. cut you the day you're healthy though, right? They, so they either do, do one or two things. They'll either negotiate an injury settlement. So you say like, my ankle's gonna take three weeks to heal. And then their doctors and your doctors will like, you know, come to a concurrence and they'll cut you with the injury settlement and they'll give you three weeks pay and then they'll cut you that day. So that injury settlement, that's like an execution notice. You're yeah. like- But the, at least it's nice. It's, it's nice if you get it in the season though. Yeah, Because that's true. then you, you know, you're getting at least some money. Yeah. If you get injured like in the off season, they could give you, they'll pay you the off season money, which is like a few hundred dollars a week. So three weeks of that. Mm -hmm. And then you're just at home. Yeah. The other thing that they do is they'll just wait for you to get healthy and then cut you that day. Um, because like the, as soon as you like finish that practice, um, they'll, they'll like, and then you show yeah. that you're healthy, then they can cut you. Then they don't owe you any extra money. Da, da, da. So what a lot That's of people, so a lot of people do is, uh, you know, maybe get their, the trainers to kind of influence guys to come back a little too early. Mm -hmm. And then once they practice, you're marked healthy, you're cleared, then they can cut you again. So I've yeah. seen that happen to a lot of guys too. I think, uh, I think the most like in-depth look that like most people have into like that whole kind of like cutthroat side of the NFL is like that's that last scene in hard knocks when, you know, everybody's like floating around the, uh, the facility and the strength coach or whatever has to come get you yeah. to walk through. Were you, uh, were you there at, in Houston when Hard Knocks was there, or is that before you that got there? That was before me. Okay, before so that was before you got but, there. But yeah, I know, and I think what most people don't realize is, yeah, that's the day that most people get cut. The roster goes from 90 to 53, so what's that, 37 people mm -hmm. get fired at one time on every team. But what people don't realize is for the rest of the season, and really every day after the year, but for the rest of the season, that thing still changes. Yeah. You know, guys show up on Monday and play on the next Sunday. Yeah. Guys show up on Wednesday and play on Sunday. And that's like the other side that people don't see. So it's good though, because you know, if you're if you're on the street in September, it doesn't mean you're done. You might get called up the third week yeah. of September and then but I feel like show. that right there, like obviously you have a good mindset towards that because you understand that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to assume that not everybody does. Some people think when that happens and you get cut in September, you're done forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But most guys, you know, most guys are football players. So, you know, they, they're most, not ready to give up yet. Yeah. So they're going to keep hope alive for a little bit. Um, my rule of thumb is like it would take like a year of no activity for me to stop playing. So I'm still in the show. That's my yeah. mentality. But some dudes, you know, they might go try to play like arena ball, try to get back into it. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes I feel like if you're really, if you're not going to get back in, you might've just wasted your money because you, you might've been playing for free, wasting your time, supporting yourself. Whereas you could have been yeah. like 
starting some other business and yeah. getting getting your yeah, there's an opportunity cost there's stuff. A, yeah there's opportunity cost to like do you really think you'll get back in versus like you know mm-hmm. other opportunities that you could be doing so when you're when you're you know you're going through this process and like you said like some of the practice squad guys could be at a different team each week how does that like affect your mentality when it comes to like living in that city because like say you get you know you get signed to miami and you're all excited about living in miami but the next week you have to go to you know Minneapolis like how do you like set that mindset that like you basically could move at any time and because I feel like you can't settle down you can't like feel like it's your city so it's funny so I lived in Houston for three years but I wasn't sure if I was going to so like most of my stuff was I moved out of Houston four months ago most of my stuff was still in boxes did you actually own a house in Houston or no, did you rent I just rented yeah but most of my stuff while I was in Houston was in boxes I didn't get any dressers I didn't get anything like big mm-hmm. my biggest things were my Two beds and a TV stand. Yeah. Everything else was in like a boxer bag or hanging up because yeah. I knew at any point I'm going to have to go. What's the point of having this furniture? I'm probably, I don't really want to stay in the city like as my home base. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was always ready to move the whole yeah. time. Um, but yeah, you, you get in those tricky situations like a guy on the practice squad that just gets signed. They might let you stay in a team hotel free for like two weeks and then mm-hmm. they're like, all right, go find a place to live. But like, you know, who's who's giving out one month leases in December? You know, yeah, exactly. I'll give you a perfect example. What a lot of guys do, and then I did this myself. Uh, one of my guys, Nate, he was a rookie on our practice squad back in 2019, and he was on. He, they we signed him in like mid November. Mm-hmm. He was there for two weeks, and then you know they about to kick him out the hotel. I was like, well, we got four or five weeks left in the season. I said, I got an extra bedroom. Just come live with me. Mm-hmm. And, like, dudes will do that for, like, Peace Squad dudes because what's the point? It's yeah. just three weeks, three, four weeks, you know, come live with me. I'll take you to the facility. And then the next year he ended up making the team. He got his own spot, you know, yeah. doing his own thing. But, you know, dudes look out like that. And I remember when I was a rookie, I saw some, some, some like, draft picks looking out for some of the undrafted guys just for that little period where you're mm-hmm. in limbo, where you don't know. But, uh, yeah, some dudes sign, like, six-month leases. Some dudes, they get signed midseason. They just go get an Airbnb for, like, eight weeks and just – living there a lot of yeah people do that. i mean that's that's not a horrible yeah it's not that, like that. that's not a horrible way to do that but then you have like i'll give you a perfect example one of my teammates from my high school actually he's like three years younger than me so the covid year would have been his rookie year mm. as you know a lot of guys got jilted during the covid year because yeah. they just they didn't have a combine they didn't have time to kind of evaluate new guys but he ended up getting signed to the browns went through camp with him got cut but they signed him to the practice squad he was on the practice squad for one week Got an apartment. I, I literally had uh, lunch with his parents the other day. They had got him an apartment, you know, mm-hmm. moved him in and stuff. Got cut. Jeez. So then it's like, you know, like, dang. Yeah. But his apartment complex was cool, and they let him out the lease. Yeah. But, like, you don't know. No. You, you don't know what they're going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> they can oh. say, like, you know, pay the fee or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. That, yeah. I mean, just, like, living with, like, that potential uncertainties. Yeah. That, and, that, that's and, always going to be in the back of your mind. And then he didn't get re-signed again until January. Yeah. Yeah. So in limbo for a long in time. In limbo again. So now he's giving it another shot. He's signed with another team in January. So I'm shout out to my dog. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, another You know, another thing that I think, intertwines with both athletics and business is failures. And I think that that's something that a lot of our, you know, listeners, I I think that's everybody's biggest fear, right? Like you don't want to go into something that isn't going to work. Like you're like, that's a waste of time. Right. But you also will never know if it can be successful if you don't try. Unless you give it a shot. So why don't, you know, you walk us through a couple failures that you've had in your life and then, you know, what you took away from it or or how it actually impacted your life. Okay. So I'll say I probably had like, Two, 
I guess not three, but two little turning points in my athletic career. Mm-hmm. The first was my junior year. Um, of college? In, in high school. High school. So my freshman and sophomore year, we won the state championship. We were undefeated. My junior year, we lost our first game, and we lost in the state semifinals. Mm-hmm. So boom, that happened. And then track season, my freshman and my sophomore year, I qualified for states. My junior year, top four regionals go to states. I got fifth in four by one and fifth in shot put. One spot out, didn't go to states for either my junior year. So that's how many me, how many shot putters are running the four by one at the same time? So here's the thing, right? <laughs> in high school, it's like, oh, look at me, I'm a shot putter running the four by one. But then I go to the NFL, all the linebackers. Everybody, everybody was a shot putter in the four by one. Yeah, shot put in, ran the four by one, and yep. played basketball. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that was like I remember when I was in in high school, I saw Clowney running the four by one. He's from South Carolina, not far mm-hmm. away. We had a track meet down there. I saw Clowney running the four by one. Stefan Anthony, he was the first round draft pick. I've seen all these guys out on the track back in the day. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so I didn't qualify for states in either, and we didn't win states in football. And, you know, that year I really learned about a lot about myself, a lot about perseverance. Um, just kind of just in both sports, I kind of just the next season I really had a different mentality. Like I understood the dire circumstances. And I understood that I was fortunate that, you know, at least it wasn't my senior year that that happened. Mm-hmm. So come back senior year, we went 15-0. We won a state championship. We're like top 10 nationally ranked team. And then I qualified for states in both my events and I medaled in states in both those events that I didn't make it to states for Boom. the year before. Um, so I think just that bounce back my senior year, that kind of showed me kind of how life will go. You know, obviously I had my own issues at home growing up, but really like sports, those failures, those ones hit the most because the issues at home are, is kind of like, you know, it's just circumstance, whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, issues in sports, I feel like that's something I have control, control over. Yeah. And growing up playing sports, especially when you're one of the better players, you feel like sports is an area of your life where you have control. Yeah. In my junior year, that was the first time I felt like I didn't have control. Mm-hmm. Senior year, bounced back out of there. So then I guess the next failure would be uh, after my redshirt freshman year, I played very well my redshirt freshman year, and my draft stock was they had me pegged as like a, maybe a potential second, third rounder in the, the next year's draft. Mm-hmm. 2015, I got a little banged up, and my, my stock started to plummet, but it wasn't that bad. It was still like mid-round. 2016, um, due to personnel, you know, I'm like a linebacker, but I was playing a little bit of D-line, you know, my stock plummeted once again. Now I was like an undrafted guy. So after my redshirt junior year, I was kind of like at a crossroads. Like, all right, do I come back for a fifth? Do I declare for the league? Do I stop playing football and just, you know, go work in media? What's it going to be? And ultimately, I took, after the bowl game, I kind of disappeared for a week. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew where I was. My coaches, my mom, nobody knew where I was. I was actually in Dallas, but (laughs) nobody (laughs) nobody knew where I was. (laughs) And I kind of just took a lot of time to contemplate and figure what I was going to do to my life. And I thought back to my junior year, and I said, you know what, one more year. You know, get to live in California for one more year. You know, why the hell not? Give it another shot. Yep. And I just went for it my last year. Like, I didn't really expect to get drafted or go to the league. I was just like, I'm just going to play football one more year. I'm going to give it my last, you know, shot and see what happens. And sure enough, uh, I wasn't like an early draft pick, but I got drafted on day three and I had an opportunity to make the team. And I did that. And uh, 
So now I'm just kind of at another crossroads again. You know, I got released in February. So first time I got cut from a team in my life, I was 25 years old. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I'm kind of in that same place right now. And I'm just like, I'm going to just keep working out. I work out five days a week. Um, and I'm just like, I'm just keep working out every day. Opportunities are going to come. And I'm just yep. going to get back in there, see what I can do again. Yeah. So, so I, I think just having that my junior year in high school, mm-hmm. I'll, every time, like, failure happens in my life, I kind of revert back to that. So I think everybody needs to kind of have that moment where they were down and like actually felt it so that next time you won't be, you won't feel as down. You mm-hmm. know, like when bad things happen nowadays, I don't really feel down. I just kind of take a step back from this situation, look at what's happened, you know, look at my options, the ways I could address the situation and just choose the one that I feel like doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't really get, like I don't, I don't get nervous. I don't get flustered. I don't get like I just don't anymore. Yeah, so much stuffs happened. I just don't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, how do you think you know those failures and the lessons that you took away from them? How have they impacted your business making decisions on your entrepreneurial side? Have you had any business failures? I haven't had business failures per have se, you had but challenges. I, but I had challenges and yeah. stuff that I didn't, like, especially like with real estate. Like, let's anything, break them down. Tell us about anything them. can happen. Like, mm-hmm. what, what was the first? What was the first issue? All right. So I knew the place. I knew my first rental property was going to be like a fixer upper. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's cool. You know, it's kind of in a growing area, Charlotte. You know, things are changing over there. So I was thinking like, all right, I'm going to have to like paint this place, you know, change the floors. Like, how yeah. bad could it be? Well, it turns out the place was also like infested with pests. Didn't account for that. Yep. And then the piping was all off. So when we tried to put in the new washer and dryer, like water started going everywhere. Yeah. Had to redo the pipes. And these are just costs that I like hadn't accounted for. Um, but you know, I was like, you know what, stick with it. This will be this is gonna be a valuable property. I'm gonna get that back in the end, as opposed to thinking like, oh, forget this, this is a dump. I'm just gonna sell it, cut my losses. I was like, nah, let me just stick with this, you know, invest some money into it. I'm gonna get it on back in the back end. And sure enough, here I am two years later, people are giving me cash offers on it already. And the cash offers are enough for me to make up for those repair costs. Yeah. But I'm not taking them yet. I'm still holding. But that was kind of like the first like kind of business hiccup I ran into just, you know, unaccounted costs and real estate, you know, like obviously you put the money down and you get your mortgage going, but there's, you're still going to have to come out of pocket for. Oh, and and I think that that's a lot of things people don't, I mean, closing costs, closing costs, yeah, furnishing the house. I mean, like, I mean, you know, depending on like what, what your strategy is with the house, I mean, obviously like if it's a, if it's a rental property, but like. There are a lot of associated costs yeah, that and, nobody thinks about. And the first property until you go through it, right? And that's why I, I, I did the first property after my uh, after my rookie year, and that's when I kind of learned the whole process of mm-hmm. it. Um, I wasn't like I talked to people about it, but you don't really understand it until you see all those lines on the on the closing disclosure yeah. <laughs> of all the people that are getting paid out of this transaction. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you don't really understand how it works until then. But then, like. Now that like I own property, I understand like you know the tax incentives and things you can get back for things like that. So I kind of get that from just talking to people and just. But it's like you have to when you have property and then you talk to people about property. It's a little bit different than when you don't have property because mm-hmm. they're just willing to just kind of like. You, know, you have a perspective and appreciation, and and you under and like and your thought process is is like a little more laid out and clearer because yeah. like. In, in that situation, you at least know what kind of question you're asking. Like, if you don't have any, you know, if you're not in the real estate world and you're like, well, tell me about real estate. And the guy's like, well, what do you want to know about right, real estate? Exactly. Like, there's a million things. But exactly. you coming with a with a very specific path and a clear, like, you know, end game in mind 
it, it makes that kind of conversation easier. So we talked, so that's a little bit about real estate. How did you get into that? You know, you don't have to tell us what your app is and, and break it down, but like, you know, tech is not the same as real estate. Yeah. So how, how'd you, how'd you move into that realm? So when I was in college, um, well, I'll talk about two things actually, because I'm, I'm in, I'm invest, I'm invested. I'm an early stage investor in a, a few tech health startups. And I learned about those my fifth year when I kind of just need some extra units. I took like a, a seminar in the med school and um, it was just a few units, but they were just talking about the future, like tech health and like wearables yeah. and like heart rate monitors and all these devices that like are gonna, you know, we're gonna have like an uptick. Yeah, like see, you're wearing a whoop right now. Everybody keeps track on the iWatch and, mm-hmm. and you know, there's just so many different things that are out now. And this was kind of like, you know, before they were so prevalent. Mm-hmm. This was like maybe like 2017, 2016. So, you know, I heard about that, kind of put the idea in my head. Then I was approached by, you know, several different people, you know, just from Stanford, from living in Silicon Valley, just knowing tech people. And there's a few startups that I've that I've invested in because I just love the team. And I hear when you meet with investors and they're trying to invest in startups, they're always talking about the team. Mm-hmm. And there's two good teams that I'm involved with right now. And I kind of jumped out on a limb and was like, you know what? I believe in these companies. I did my research and I, I kind of I gave them both a little bit of money. Um, and I think it's coming to fruition. You know, they're growing out their digital platforms. They're growing out like their media platforms. They already have the infrastructure and the technology in place. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's going to be pretty cool to see. And then with the app, I was actually approached about the app um, from, it's a group of guys from the islands. It's a, it's a really cool team. We have uh, two guys with a lot of experience in marketing, um, and then we have another guy with a lot of experience in Silicon Valley working for different tech companies. Mm-hmm. He's, he actually works for Nike right now. Oh, cool. Um, and, you know, they know that I lived in the Bay Area, and, you know, I kind of have some connections. So they, And I'm also kind of a good spokesperson, and then I also had the NFL thing, and they kind of approached me about it. I was like, hey, man, what do you like? What do you think of this team? Like, would you be down to get on? You know, like, we think, like, not only your connections, but also, like, you know, you can help us with the marketing and you're in America. Two of the guys are out of the country in the islands. And then half the team's in America, half the team's in the islands. But mm-hmm. we're, we're all, we all have island roots. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of connected us. And I was like, oh, some island boys. Like, let's see what they're talking about. And, you know, they told me the idea and I, I fell in love with it. And then they showed me the business plan. And I was like, you know what, let me hop in on this. So now I'm kind of, you know, in the early stages of promoting. It's still low. That's why I can't really talk about it right mm-hmm. now. But, like, you know, we're working on, like, building out the app. And, you know, we kind of have the front end already up we were yeah. working on the back end now but we have like what it's supposed to look like mm-hmm. up, you know the figma and all that kind of yeah stuff. So, absolutely so it's pretty cool man yeah that is cool so you know you kind of started walking down like the next path i want to go where you know you're talking about you being a spokesperson promoting stuff being a being a person of of, of your career uh you know branding is something that is really important to you because you have an identity on the field right you know as a linebacker whatever your playing style is but you know you're also a completely different person off the field. So how do you how have you kind of built your brand over time? I mean, are you are you big on social media? Um, you know, kind of how have you how have you done that? Obviously, you have tech roots being in Silicon Valley. Your you know entire college career. I'm sure you got to meet a lot of really cool people, kind of like the the guys that you've teamed up with and stuff like that. So kind of talk us through how you built that brand. For sure. Um, so I'm verified on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So, you know, that helps, but I think I use them all for different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a professional, like I have an athlete page on Facebook and like that's the one I'll use, you know, if I'm trying to like promote things or like people want to reach out for promotions. Typically when they Google me, 
that's the Facebook page that comes up. Okay. But then I also have like my private Facebook. I'm not marketing or anything on there. That's sure. just like friends and family, yep. right? My Twitter, my Twitter, I use it to more so voice opinions. I don't often like market things and promote people's things. Yep. Um, just because I, I feel like that's kind of like where I like to speak my mind mm-hmm. and, you know, give kind of people kind of like some insight of where I'm coming from, things I like. Um, the things I believe in and things like that. Now, my Instagram, it's all promo. Um, My Instagram is not my real life. (laughs) It's not most people's real life. If you look at my Instagram, you think I just play football and go on hikes, which is what I do. I do play football and go on hikes, but I do so much more stuff. Um, My Instagram, like most of the pictures are football pictures, and that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. People reach out for me for things all the time, and it doesn't even have my real name on there, but just they see, you know, Football, NFL, Stanford, they see that. And they reach out for different promotions and offers. And, you know, sometimes they give me a discount. Sometimes I post this on my story. They'll do this and whatever. So I'll say Instagram and then that verified Facebook. I use those more for promotions. And then Twitter and uh, Twitter's for me. Facebook's really for my family. <laughs> yeah. No, I, th- I think that's cool that you have, like, uh, you have an app. You have apps that are focused towards business. You have some that are focused for, like, you personally. And then obviously, like the, the really important ones are talking to your family and yeah. stuff like that, because you know they want to make sure you're doing okay. Yeah, that's just you know letting them know where I'm at. My family, my grandma's on there. My auntie back in Trinidad. I have family in Trinidad, in Africa, in Europe, and all that. So just talking to them. Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're kind of getting into some hypothetical questions now as we're as we're rounding this out. Um, so let's say uh, you know because we don't want to put any bad juju. Let's say the NFL just stopped existing tomorrow. What what are you gonna do? Are you gonna are you gonna focus on real estate? Are you gonna do tech? Like what what would Peter do if football just was no longer in existence? So I think the end goal for me, honestly, I want to be an athletic director, whether it's okay. at a Texas high school or like maybe or in college. But I wouldn't mind being a Texas high school athletic director. But before I do that, I want to set up a few a few ventures and kind of get them going. Good work, so by gonna, the way. Right. We, we like those ventures. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I want to set up some ventures and I want to work kind of hands-on in them, yep. get them off the ground mm-hmm. so that, you know, like I have residual coming in. Yep. So then when I start my, you know, my ascent, you know, maybe maybe I go back to school, maybe I don't start, you know, teaching and things like that. I, I think I'll probably be a French teacher. That's how I'll get into the schools. Okay. Um, but like that won't be for the money initially. That that's like be, that's for the passion for the, for the passion, for, for the love of being able to help people. Yep. You know, help kids. I really like love helping kids. I love talking to kids. I always like go speak to the kids whenever I have a chance because there's just so much stuff that I've seen and you know I'm not that I'm not that far removed from them, so I feel like they can still relate to me. Yeah, absolutely. so I, I always do mentorship programs and talk. To to my kids in my school, different schools all over. When I was in the Bay, I was coaching these kids, and now some of them are in college now, and they yep. still hit me up and all that. So I love doing that. But I want to kind of get some other things off the ground first before I go off. And I'm fortunate in that I have I have a little window whenever I stop playing to where, like, I can, you know, I don't need to be making – my business doesn't need to be profitable. Not all my businesses need to be profitable as soon as I stop playing football. Yeah. But they do – Within a couple of years, sure. yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of my mentality with that. Yeah, and you know, I think because you, uh, you know, you caught the entrepreneurial bug early, then you know, a lot of people, it's you basically have those backup plans starting starting on already yeah. because, yeah. like, either you could roll into your existing businesses, which is your situation is the best because football is going to end one day, yeah. right? You know, whether it's whether it's by your choice or yeah. by nature's by choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so having those already started gives you, I mean, well, it gives you like reassurance in the back of your mind, but also, you know, you have a, you have a direction where I feel like sometimes 
you know, people, whether it's their college career ending, cause like they think they're going to go to the NFL, but it just never happens. Or, you know, you have a, you have a great career in the league, but having to like start from square one. I mean, that's, that's hard. That's almost like a panic yeah. because like, you're like, I have to make money. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Yeah. But so by you having kind of that entrepreneurial spirit, I think you're going to be in a good spot for that. Right. And I think, you know, starting the stuff. And like I said, like, for example, getting loans while you're on the contract banks, when they see an NFL contract, they don't understand that, you know, you can get cut into every week. They don't understand how that they works. They see a big number. They just see a big number. And they're like, oh, yeah, loan. Here yep. you go. You know, and I think if you try to start that stuff after, it'll be hard. So while I'm in it, you know, I just kind of, you know, just keep building. So whenever mm-hmm. it's over, you know, at least I got the stones in place and then I, yeah. can, I can grow I can grow from there. Absolutely. Okay, so next, you're, uh, you get asked to come back to Stanford to give the commencement speech, right? You know, it's, it's fitting right now. Everybody's graduating. What are three pieces of advice that you're going to pass on to the kids that are sitting in the chair that, you know, you just sat in however many years ago? Yeah, um, you know, I think I'm going to tell them, that's a lot of things I want to tell them to be honest but I think three of the biggest things are like find something that you love not necessarily but you don't have to love your day job Um, and I think a lot of kids nowadays you know especially the entrepreneurial spirits out there but I think people are like afraid to get work experience like people are like shying away from the nine to five but even if you want to be an entrepreneur, I think it's still good to have the work experience. So, you know, you go into the company and you see like, all right, I don't like how management does this, 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 and that. Mm-hmm. So when it's time for me to run my thing, you know, I'm going to do this, this, that. So um, don't be afraid of the nine to five. I think that's becoming like kind of people are talking, people are trying to shy away from it now coming yeah. out of college. Don't be afraid of nine to five, um, but always but if you're working your job, always have what you truly love in the back of your mind. And then may, maybe not right now, but in a few years, it'll all be able to connect. But you got to start putting fail safes in place from like your younger years so yeah. that when you get a little bit older, you'll be glad that you did that. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing I tell them is start putting fail safes in place. So if things don't work out the way that you plan them to, you still have something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. So I think... Just being in adult life, like fail safes have just been big. Um, just over, especially over the last three years, you know, some of the things I did, like when I got cut, I was like, I bought this, I closed on this house in September across the street from where we're doing this podcast at in Austin, and uh, I got cut in January, and I was like, wow, it's a good thing I bought that house, you know, mm-hmm. things yep. like that, you know, just simple things like that. Put fail safes in place so that when things don't go as you plan, you're not like ass out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's no. the big thing, I think. Absolutely. Okay. And then now for the my final question, it's my favorite one. Why are you an entrepreneur? Why am I an entrepreneur? I'm an entrepreneur because I have the entrepreneurial spirit, you know. Um I wanna I wanna I wanna expand and I wanna I want I wanna be a business owner. I am a business owner actually, PK Down Enterprises LLC, shameless self promotion. There you go. <laughs> Plug it. <laughs> but you know, I just I just feel like a lot of people own businesses and they make it seem like it's impossible for you know the, the the masses to do so but then i see a lot of people that are somewhere in between that like not the 1% but maybe you know they're in the 5% mm-hmm. and then you know they're just doing some really cool stuff i remember when i lived in houston so many people have like untraditional occupations there like they might be like a lawyer slash like pilates instructor slash you know real estate investor mm-hmm. you know like and I think especially living in a place like Texas, you know, it's it's really easy uh, to kind of 
get your stuff started, not as much regulations and like all facets of everything. You know, cost of living is not that bad. And um, I just, Texas kind of brings out that entrepreneurial spirit in me, to be honest. I just feel like you can do whatever you want here. So uh, chase it. Don't be afraid. Uh, I'm, I'm an athlete, so, you know, I love to compete. I love to, you know, see what the competition's doing, study the competition, and see how I can attack them and, you know, be better. So I think being an athlete kind of goes hand-in-hand with being an entrepreneur and that I have that competitive spirit and I understand what it takes to build something. You mm-hmm. understand, too. Mm-hmm. You remember training camp? Yep. You know how bad everybody is on day one in training camp? But then day 25, you're like, yo. Like, we're actually a team. Yeah, like, we're, like, we can do it. Yeah, we're doing this now. Like, the snaps are on time. You know, like, <laughs> you know how that is, bro. Like, the linebackers giving us the calls, you know? Yep. So I think that knowing, playing sports also just helps with knowing, like, what's a good team? Like, what's a cohesive team? And, yep. and I know all the red flags of bad team, bad teammates. And, like, so, you know, sports taught me all that. So I, I'm looking forward to, as I build out, you know, different teams for different uh, different business ventures I go into, I'm going to use that sports knowledge um, to find my employees. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Peter, thank you so much for uh, for coming on today. This was, a, this was an awesome conversation. Love talking to uh to people with athletic backgrounds because it's For something sure. that I, I relate to, but I enjoy it even more because you're a businessman and uh, you know you know what you're doing and I'm, I, I'm excited to, to, to see you grow. So the last thing I need you to do is plug all your socials. Where can everybody find you? Uh, if they want to learn more about you, hit you up, whatever the case may be. All right, so um, Twitter, Facebook, I'm Peter Kalambayi. Uh, if we go on Instagram, I'm dognasty34. That's two Gs, no spaces, like Snoop Dogg, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that's me on Instagram, and that's kind of everything. So everything you can find me is my real name, and then on Instagram is dognasty34. Um, y'all give me a follow. Y'all check me out see, and be on the lookout for my app coming out in the next four five months. There you go. All right, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, yep, man. Yeah, not a problem. All right, guys, if you want to continue this discussion, follow us on our social media. Our Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebooks will all be in the description of this episode. Hop on there, shoot us a DM, hit us up with whatever concerns, questions, comments that you guys have. We'd love to uh, to continue to build that community on there. Next, subscribe to wherever you listen, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Amazon, uh, Overcast, you name it, we got it. We also have a YouTube channel now. So hop over there and subscribe to us. All the clips that we post on social media will be there as well, plus uh, you know a couple little extra ones for, uh, for the real fans out there. So we appreciate you guys. Next, please leave a rate and a five-star review. It helps us out tremendously because of you guys' support. We already cracked the top 150 for business and entrepreneur podcasts, and I think that we can crack the top 100 here real soon with your guys' continued support. Lastly, reach out to us if you're a young entrepreneur and you'd like to share your story on the podcast. We'd be more than happy to ask you some questions because we know that it's going to be a great learning experience for us. 